Amen. You may be seated. I have the privilege of uh, getting to be here with you this morning. I saw uh, Ed as I was coming in. He is uh, shirt untucked, ready to preach in Crossroads. I have my shirt tucked in. I might have needed some help in doing that, but we got the job done. If you've been with us, then you know that we are continuing this morning our Because We Care series, the series that, that for the month of October is inviting us to consider what it means to live generous lives. And this is the beginning for us, a launching point uh, for the next two years for our generosity initiative that, that in, in which we are allowing ourselves to be challenged in, in the way that we give of our time, in the way that we give of our finances, in the ways that we might be allowing God to stretch us and to challenge us as we consider what it means to live life in response to all that he is, has given. And as I've said in Crossroads the past couple weeks, uh, I want to go ahead and name the fact that if you are visiting this morning and you are maybe new to the church or back in the church for the first time um, in a while, uh, then, and one of your arguments against the church has been, gosh, here we go again, we're always talking about money in the church. That's the only thing that the church talks about. And what I've said in Crossroads and what I hope is true and I know is true in this space because I, I listen to the, um, the, the messages that, that Ed preaches in here and I'm so thankful for his gift and his leadership. But the thing that is talked about more in this church than anything else is the person of Jesus. Amen? And I hope that if you encounter someone who is arguing against, well, you guys are in that stewardship series and you're not just going to spend a month talking about it. You're going to spend two years talking about it? Say no. We're going to spend two years talking about Jesus and what it looks like to live life in response to all that he has given us. Because that's the invitation. That's who we're invited to be as, as followers of his, that we live lives in response to all that has been given um, to us. And this morning, we get to, to consider stewardship. We get to consider the gifts that we've been given by Christ. First and foremost, the gift of life the gift of grace, the gift of forgiveness that is accomplished by his finished work on the cross. And then the fact that in an empty tomb, we are invited to live into this full life that Jesus came to make possible. In John 10, 10, Jesus says, I came that they may have life and have it to the full. And that's, that's the invitation that we have as his followers. And that is the message that we are invited to steward uh, for the world around us. And so we're, we're just so excited to, uh, that you would, would be here. And for those of you who are joining us online, we're grateful uh, that you would tune in. And our hope and prayer is that you feel the presence of the Holy Spirit wherever you are watching from in the same way that we do in this space here. So as we um, prepare to, to get into, uh, we'll be in, in Peter's first letter uh, this morning. And as we prepare to, to make the transition um, into that, I do want to invite us to take a look at our, um, our Because We Care video uh, for this, this um, morning. Take a look at this. My name is Scott St. Clair, and our family's been coming to Boone United Methodist Church since 2011. So I've been involved in um, multiple things through the years. Um, been involved with the uh, building of the Boone United Trail, um, which was really meaningful for me and something I get out and use a lot. Um, I've been involved in our Sunday school class, the Journey class, and I've been fortunate enough to serve on um, multiple um, visioning groups as we've been thinking about the mission of the church, the vision of the church, and where we're headed as we move into the future. I see giving my resources to the church as a way to invest in the church's ability to be God's image here in our community. 
the ability of our church to reflect um, God to those around us. And I think to the extent that our presence of our building and our outdoor spaces do reflect God to the community around us, it really does help us live into our mission and vision of loving our community, inviting all to discover life in Christ. This is currently our, our entrance and, and welcome, and we can provide so much more to help people know that this trail is here um, and to invite and welcome them onto our campus. One of the things I get really excited about is thinking about our, our back lot, our meadow um, behind the church is how do we open up and expand the meadow to be used by as many people as possible across the entire age spectrum of our church, across the entire age spectrum of the community, and people's interest level so that people who may not be interested in hiking all the way up to Howard Knob would be able to come out and use our, our, our backyard. So one of the things um, that we're excited about doing is creating a walking path that would go around the entire meadow um, that would be flat, that would be accessible, that would be easy to walk on. And that may be all that people want to come and, and use at our church, but it would still be a great way to minister to people. I think part of opening up the meadow um, for more people to use and utilize this space is also thinking about how do we expand and enhance the firewood ministry and what's already been happening um, in our back lot. And so uh, part of the, the hope and the dream is thinking about how can we actually make um, the firewood ministry uh, more efficient, give it more space. Giving is a chance to reflect um, back to God what He's already given to us. Over the course of uh, these weeks, we hope that you have begun to see in these videos just snapshots of the vision, the picture that God has given us as a church for ways that we can continue to be a reflection of who Jesus is in this, com in this community, um, both in the ways that we take care of and, and do necessary upgrades for the space um, that has been home to this church now for over 20 years. Um, and in the ways that we, we have an outreach into the community, uh, and then ways that we, we offer and, and create a welcoming uh, space for folks who may not walk in through the doors of the church. And I, I can attest to Scott's um, love for the trail and his use of the trail because I see him out there almost every Tuesday morning uh, when after I drop my youngest off at Hardin Park and then go and spend some time on the trail before our staff meetings. Uh, and if you have spent any time out there, then uh, then you, you probably have encountered some folks who, who are faces that you don't recognize um, as being a part of this church family. But what we've done is to create a place that folks in this community um, feel like is theirs. And that is something for us to be proud of. And we have big dreams. Um, and God has given us big dreams for the ways that we can continue to um, be faithful and, and think beyond what, what we are already doing uh, as a church. And it, we're just so excited about that and excited to invite you to be a part of that uh, with us. Our scripture for this morning comes from 1 Peter chapter 4. Uh, if you're able, uh, we invite you to stand in honor of the reading of God's word. If not, then just in the posture of your heart, um, revere uh, the word of the Lord. We're going to begin with uh, verse 7. So 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7. He writes, The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. 
Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So Peter is writing this letter, uh, and this is a little bit different from some of the other letters that we see in the New Testament, some of the letters that Paul has written uh, that, are, that are written to very specific uh, churches, the church in Ephesus, the church in Philippi, the church in Corinth. Peter is writing to a collection of churches uh, that, that are in Asia at this time. And and, and Peter is writing a letter to a group of people, a, a groups of churches, gatherings of believers who are beginning to face persecution because of who they are in Christ and because of the ways that they have sought to live their lives in response to the knowledge of what Christ has accomplished for them. And so in many ways, this is a letter of encouragement, but it's also a letter in which Peter is reminding these people of who they are, rather than just telling them, hey, you should live these certain ways because for many of us, we just want to know, hey, just tell me what are the things that I need to do in order to get the job done? What are the things that I need to do in order to be acceptable to God? And, and the reality is there's nothing that we can do that will make us acceptable to God. That, that, that um, our, our identity, our, our welcome, the fact that God loves us is something that, that we don't earn. Uh, and, and when, when uh, Paul writes about our adoption in Ephesians, the thing that is so beautiful about that, that God had it in his heart to adopt us as his children, that that was in his heart since be, before the beginning of creation, that's not something that we've done anything to earn. And, and so Peter is writing to these folks to remind them of who they are in Christ, not just here are the things that you need to do and the ways that you need to live. And, and maybe um, that, that is something that you equated with Christianity at some point in your life. I know that I did. When I was younger and I was faced with the decision as to whether or not I wanted to give my life to Christ, my first response, and I'm so thankful that I had someone I could have this conversation with, but my first response was, hey, I don't know if I can keep all those rules. I feel like I need to clean myself up a little bit before I, I can say yes to God. I'm so thankful for this man. His name is Alan. And he said, Vern, if you wait until you've gotten stuff straight in your life, you'll never say yes. And it's not about keeping the rules. The things that we're invited to do and the things that Peter talks about here are, are simply living in response to all that we've been given. And so what he's writing at a time when persecution is beginning to break out. And, and this, is, this is actually... Uh, he's writing between 60 and 65 AD, so it's not long before um, the great persecution um, at the hand of Emperor Nero begins to break out uh, against the church in Rome, the, the persecution that would ultimately lead to um, Peter losing his life uh, for the sake of the gospel. And so imagine as these, these, these letters are being circulated and these folks are reading these, maybe they, they've begun to hear about the persecution that's breaking out. And so these words that we read in, in verse 7 all of a sudden begin to take on a new meaning, the end of all things is near. Maybe they've begun to hear about the persecution that's breaking out. And he's writing to people who, uh, they're not necessarily facing the physical persecution that Paul uh, has faced at times in his ministry. 
they find themselves in a culture and in a time when, um, I guess one way of saying it would be to say that, that the world around them is just kind of over it. They're just kind of done with Christians. The, the, what we see in Acts 2.42 through 47, the, the early believers found favor with all the people those days have, have gone. That time has, has passed, and now um, people are begoing, beginning to be mistreated by family. They're, they're beginning to be alienated by family. If they're a, a business owner, then, then maybe folks are taking their business elsewhere because they're just kind of done with Christians. They're just, they're just over it. And so Peter is encouraging the believers here, hey, because sometimes our identity can be wrapped up in the way that people treat us and the way that we feel like people regard us. And he's reminding them, hey, your identity is not found in the way that people regard you or treat you. Your identity is found in who God says you are through the person and work of Jesus. And he reminds them in the opening chapter that this hope that they have in Christ is a hope that will never spoil or fade that nothing in this world can touch that hope. It is secured in heaven, and therefore, we're meant to live a life in response to that. And that's, that's what stewardship is, is living in response to all that God has given us. And, and before we begin to kind of unpack some of these things that, that Peter's naming here and ways that we can live life in response to all that we've been given uh, in Christ, I think it's important for us to deal with that, uh, that statement there that, um, that he makes in verse uh, 7. The end of all things is near. What do we do with a statement like that? This was written like 1,900 years ago, almost 2,000 years ago. Is Peter being untruthful? The end of all things is near, and yet here we are nearly 2,000 years later still hearing these words. And, and we kind of do two things with this. Either they've lost their weight for us, it's, it's, it would be like uh, you're on vacation as a young person, your, your dad is driving the car. This may be particularly true if you're sharing the back seat with a sibling or siblings, and squabbles begin to break out, and you might hear the words, don't make me pull this car over. And maybe initially, that strikes fear in you as a child, and you think, we, we just, we're just trying to get to the beach, we want to make it there in one piece, we don't want dad to pull the car over. But then as you get older, you begin to learn dad's pride cares more about making that trip as efficiently as possible, with as few stops as possible. He's mapped out the bathroom stops. He's made uh, mom, you know, pack you lunches so you can just eat in the car and not stop on the way. And so dad's not really going to pull the car over to discipline you because he cares more about how quickly can we make the trip this year. Last year, we ran into some traffic. I routed us around that this year. We're going to get there as rapidly as possible. And so maybe the weight of words like this begins to wane for us because we think this was written centuries ago. Is the end really near? Or we take these words and we equate them, and I was careful not to wear my sandals this morning because uh, we equate them with somebody with unkempt hair and sandals and a sign or a sandwich board standing in a public place declaring, the end is near, the end is near, repent. And, and, and we tend to look at someone like that and say, at best, they're fanatical, at worst, at worst they have simply lost touch with reality. 
And yet, according to what Peter says here, and if we take the words of Jesus and, and his talking about his return and, and what happens when he will return, then, then we understand that it's not actually someone who's lost touch with reality. It's someone who is very clear-minded that lives life as if the end is near. So what is, what is the end of, of all things? And, and as, as Eugene uh, Peterson says it in the message, he says everything, everything is about to be wrapped up. All things are going to be wrapped up. We understand that the, the end times is the time between Jesus' first coming and his return. And so we find ourselves living in that time. And it's not something that we want to spend a lot of energy thinking about because maybe it makes us uncomfortable or maybe uh, we just, again, equate that with somebody who's a little bit more fanatical in their faith than we are. And yet, the reality is that with each passing moment, we are closer to the time when Jesus will return. It's like having the kids ready and, and you know, waiting in the car and, and the kids might say, hey, can we go and take a drive around the block because mom is not, she's not ready. Like she hadn't walked out of the house yet. And you say no because she could be here any minute. And the last thing that we want is for the car not to be in the driveway when mom walks out the door. And then 10 minutes pass and, and your child says, we, we could have gone around the block three times. Mom is not here. Yes, but she's still coming. And we don't want to not be here when she gets here. Jesus is returning. We have this beautiful picture in Revelation that all things will be made new. That Christ will come and wipe away every tear from our eyes. There will be no, mourning, no more mourning or death. But that time is coming. And just because we don't know when and just because we haven't experienced it doesn't exempt us from living lives in response to the weight of that truth. There's this conversation that happens at the end of, uh, in the Chronicles of Narnia, at the end of the, the voyage of the Dawn Treader, Lucy and, and Aslan, the lion, and Aslan is preparing Lucy for the fact that they are parting uh, ways. And he says to her, Lucy, do not look so sad. We shall meet soon again. Please, Aslan, said Lucy, what do you call soon? And he says, I call all times soon. I call all times soon. And instantly he was vanished away and Lucy was alone with the magician. Gone, said he. And you and I quite crestfallen. It's always like that. You can't keep him. It's not as if he were a tame I call all times soon. For us, the passing of days and the passing of time, God does not see time in the same way that we do. And so in the heart of the Father, the return of Jesus is imminent, as it has been imminent for 2,000 years. He has come. He is coming again. What does it look like then for us as those who seek to follow him, to consider ourselves disciples of Jesus, followers of Jesus, what would it look like if we lived life like we believed he would return in our lifetime? I heard a story this week 
of a man who had been uh, dealing with some health, health issues, and, and he went to the doctor, and the doctor said, I have some good news and some bad news. Give me the good news first. The good news is you have 24 hours to live. What in the world can be the bad news if the good news is that I only have 24 hours to live? And the doctor said, well, the bad news is that I was supposed to tell you that yesterday. (laughs) What do we do? How would you respond if you found out that you had only a certain amount of time left? How might you live life differently If you were told you have 24 hours, you have a week, you have six months, you have a year, what would that change about your perspective and the life that you've been given and the time that you have? I think, first of all, the things that we spend a lot of time worrying and sweating over, we'd probably stop worrying and sweating over those things because we realize in the grand scheme they are inconsequential. But so often our response, we feel like, would be, well, I'm going to do all the things that I've ever wanted to do. I'm going to enjoy the time that I have left. And, and if we're honest, then some of that means a focus on self and the things that we want. And yet we see all throughout Jesus' interaction with humanity and the, and the, the ways that his life is captured for us in the Gospels, the ways that he challenges that idea and that notion. We see it in, in reflected in Paul's life and his transformation and the way that he lived, lived life to be poured out for the sake of the Gospel. We see it in, in the transformation that we experienced and walked through last month and looking at the life of, of Peter. All of these things that Peter once thought were so important They pale in comparison to the importance of Jesus and the life that he's been invited to in Christ. And so rather than just get up and say, these are the things that Peter says we need to do in light of the fact that that the believers in these churches are finding themselves living in a community that is just kind of done with them that the church has lost its relevance. I believe it's one of those moments that we could say, gosh, this could have been written for us today. Rather than just saying, we just need to change the way that we live, it's important for us to understand the why. What if today was it? We've been given the gift of this moment. We've been given the gift of this day. Each breath that we draw, each beat of our hearts is a gift. God. Not only the gift of sustaining our lives, but the gift of calling us into life through His Son, Jesus. It is a gift that we cannot earn. It is a gift that we can't ever fully repay, and yet we are invited to live life in response to it. And so, Peter says, in light of the fact that things are about to be wrapped up, in light of the fact that Jesus is returning, that the end is near, therefore be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. You're not a person who's lost touch with reality if you live life in light of the reality of the return of Christ. You are a person who is very clear-minded, more clear-minded than the world around, the world around us that gets sidetracked and, 
and caught off guard and, 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 and pulled to things that, that, that really, in the grand scheme of things, don't matter. Now, please don't hear me say that everything that is happening in the world right now falls into that category. It's not what I'm saying. But so much of our time and our energy and our worry is spent over things that, in light of God's kingdom, really kind of pale in comparison. Be clear-minded. Pray. Tune our hearts to the heart of God. That is one of the things that prayer accomplishes in light of all that Christ has done and in light of the fact that Christ is returning. Above all, he says, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. When we have been wronged, we, we begin to realize because uh, when we're brought face to face with the fact that we are not treated as scriptures tells us, we are not treated as our sins deserve. Psalm 103 is one of the most beautiful pictures, I believe, of David's realization of the grace that he has been shown, the undeserved grace that he has been shown in light of some of the decisions he's made as the king of Israel. God doesn't treat us as our sins deserve. As far as the east is from the west, so far he removes our transgressions from us. When we begin to live our lives in light of that truth and that reality, then we realize that even when someone else has wronged us, the thing to do is not to drag their name through the mud or not to expose all of the things that we know about them so that they might suffer. It's instead an opportunity for us to steward the love and grace of God that we have been shown in such a way that they might realize that they too are loved. Because the reality is hurt people hurt people. We hurt out of a place of hurt. We hurt out of the brokenness that is within each of us. And so to cover over our being wronged by choosing to love someone instead is an opportunity for us to show them the love of Christ that has touched and transformed our lives. He continues, each of you offer hospitality to one another. And I love that he includes this last part without grumbling. If you are a parent of Teenagers especially, then you know that you might be called to offer hospitality at a moment's notice. Oh, hey, mom. Uh, I don't know. I'm holding the phone. We don't get phone calls. It's a text message. Hey, is it okay if I bring some friends over for dinner? Yeah, it sounds great. When? Uh, we're on our way now. <laughs> Without grumbling, offer hospitality to one another. We might have other plans, but if we Consider the call to steward our lives and all that we've been given in light of God's kingdom and not our little kingdoms on this earth, then whatever plans we thought were important, we would be willing to lay down so that we can open our homes, so that we can open what we've been given and offer hospitality to those who might need a place where they feel welcome, who might need a place where they are fed, who might need a place where they are heard and listened to, and most importantly, where they feel known. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. We've been given so much. Financially, in the gifts that we have, in the time that we've been given. And if we begin to see those things, view them as the gifts that they are, then it changes our perspective of, of how we might use what we've been given. Rather than answering the question, if I only have 24 hours 
left or if I only have a week left and I want to do everything that I can to, to serve myself and to meet the needs that I have and to do the things that I've always wanted to do, uh, we realize that all of that terminates with us. And the argument might be, well, I want to make sure that things are in line for my children and the, the ones that come after me. That's absolutely an honorable thing to do. But I want to challenge us in thinking that if what is behind that is not a reflection of the kingdom of God and a reflection of the heart of Jesus, then again, ultimately, we're giving gifts that have an end. The greatest inheritance that we can give is a life faithfully lived, poured out for the sake of the gospel. There's nothing greater that we can offer to our children and to our grandchildren and to all who would come after us. And if everything that we do and everything that we offer and the way that we hold our gifts, gifts open-handedly is with that in mind, then all of a sudden, anything that we offer to those around us, our time, our finances, our gifts, whatever it may be, anything that we offer to those around us, if it's done in light of the gospel, in light of the kingdom of God, then all of a sudden we have, we have taken something that is ordinary and given it new meaning. It's now a reflection of something greater than self. And so Peter is challenging the believers here, hey, in light of the way that you've been treated, guess what? You get to meet that with the love of Christ. You get to meet that with living generous lives. You get to meet that with continuing to invite into your home these people who might be mistreating you. And in doing so, be a reflection of who Jesus is and all that he has given you. So friends, for us to, to hold open-handedly all that we've been given is not for us to experience loss. It's for us to experience freedom from those things shackling us. Freedom from, from those things dictating for us every decision that we must make. When we hold them with an open hand and say, God, it's all yours. Would you help me to use what you've given me in a way that's reflective of who you are? Now we find that we begin to understand perhaps what Jesus means when he says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. It has nothing to do with what we possess. It has everything to do with what we experience in Christ by being willing to give away and hold open-handedly all that he has given us. God's grace is evident in our lives in so many ways. What are the ways that God might be calling you to hold that grace with an open hand to steward it in a way that you get to say, it's not really mine. God's just letting me borrow it because he has bigger plans for the things that, that I possess than I do. So then all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. Friends, to choose to live lives in response to all that God has given us is the greatest call that we can answer. And to steward all that God has given us in light of the kingdom and in light of the gospel offers us the greatest opportunity 
for a life of fruitfulness beyond anything that we could imagine. And so as we prepare to close, I do want to invite you, um, as Patty said, I want to reiterate for you to spend some time in your um, engagement journals if you haven't been doing so. Uh, there's, there's great um, <clears throat> questions to, to wrestle with and, and things for um, that, that the Holy Spirit, along with the Holy Spirit, can be used to, to challenge us and to stretch us. If we were to have a limited amount of time left, what would begin to change if we lived it like we believed Christ would return? How would that change your perspective? How might it call us more deeply into becoming the church that God dreams of? Let's pray. Holy Father, we confess to you that to say thank you Lord, doesn't carry a weight that is comparable to the weight of all that you have given us in your son, Jesus. God, the fact that you meet us right where we are, the fact that you love us where we are, the fact that your grace for us abounds, that you're willing by the work of your spirit to call to light our sins so that we might confess them to you and to know that we have been forgiven and are invited to live a new life. And I pray that the, the, the weight of that and the beauty of that would rest heavily upon us and that we truly would be burdened to live lives in response to all that you have given us, that we would hold with an open hand all that we have, asking you, Father, how would you have me use today? How would you have me use my gifts? How would you have me use my treasure in a way that is reflective of you and in a way that can be used to draw others to you? That's our hope and our prayer, Lord. Help us to do so out of love and in response to you. In the beautiful name of Jesus, we ask these things. Amen.